Hey, this is John Reed. This is uh, my Hits and Misses live show. We're really live, too. Look at us. We're all masked up. We're geared up. We're in Vegas. I'm I'm with Hyun Park. How you doing? Uh, doing good. How are you doing? Uh, I picked you for my guinea pig broadcast because <laughs> you're one of the most interesting enterprise thinkers that I could think of. So thanks for allowing me to trick you into doing this. Uh, we're going to discuss Planful Perform a little bit because we are in Vegas for Planful Perform. Uh, financial planning, performance, all that good stuff. But you're in Vegas for three different shows. Uh, listeners, uh, feel free to comment and please let us know about the sound video quality because uh, this is like my new setup uh, to try to do some of this live. So I think it's working, but if it's not, please do let us know. Uh, so so tell us, um, what are you doing in Vegas? You're, you broke my record because I've never done more than two shows. You're doing three shows at once. Yeah, it's a crazy time uh, for trade shows. Every single vendor has basically decided they need to make it for last time this month and figure out what they're doing. So uh, we're here for Planful Perform, of course, where we're looking at planning, budgeting, and forecasting. But Informatica is also having their show uh, up at the Venetian, where they are talking about the latest and greatest in data integration and data management, and ServiceNow, an IT management platform that is ubiquitous in the enterprise, is also having their show uh, just downstairs from Informatica in the same casino. So I am bouncing back and forth looking at all the big trends in IT management, data, uh, planning, and uh, really uh, anything in the tech world right now. So yeah, we're we're still early in in our Vegas jaunts here. But have you learned anything interesting yet? Um, I feel like everybody is really excited to be seeing people again. Yeah. Uh, everybody who's on stage says they're very excited. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has definitely yeah. been a trend. But I I think a little bit more seriously, uh, one of the big trends that is uh, continuously coming up is around the cloud. Everybody wants you to know just how much they are in the cloud, how much they work with Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. and Google, and how they are part of that future uh, that everybody is thinking about. So tell us a little bit about how you take what you're hearing from the stage and like validate it, because obviously, you know, your goal through through your firm is to try to provide customers and your audience with real insights so how do you get from that what you're hearing how do you validate all this stuff and make sense of it yeah so it, it's starting to get a bit tricky because uh this is where we take all that we, we're going to hear all of these different pitches from all of these different vendors and now part of my job and uh, our firm's job really is to start figuring out what what to tell people based on the specific situations they're in. So if you're an Amazon cloud user, what does this mean for you? If you're a Microsoft cloud user, what does this mean for you? If you're a Google cloud customer, or if you are in a basic, uh, one of these verticals that is getting a new offering, uh, such as healthcare or uh, financial services, uh, are these offerings any better than what you already have in place? Uh, that's a lot of the... Uh, due diligence that I'm going to be uh, looking at over the rest of the week, uh, just digging down further into all of these claims and figuring out what, if anything, is actually different. Yeah, and then there's also this thing around cloud where you have your 
total cost of ownership argument for cloud reducing infrastructure costs, but more and more it seems like if I don't if I can't articulate a business benefit as well, then that that may not be a full argument. Just oh, I can save some money on some servers. Your 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 board is not necessarily going to be too impressed with that as your business rationale. That's right. One of the things we talk about at Amalgam Insights, our firm, is the IT rule of 30, that any IT spend category that is unmanaged probably has 30% of waste or fat in it. And cloud is no exception, especially since cloud is easy to purchase, easy to use. Um, it's over the past uh, couple of years, infrastructure as a service has been going up 40% uh, per year. A platform as a service, uh, think of all the stuff you use to build apps, is going up 50% a year. This stuff is easy to pick up, easy to use, and people are spending a heck of a lot of money there. So at Plantful Perform, we had our day one keynote with the CEO, Grant Halloran, this morning. And I think it's an interesting time for this space because on the one hand, you have kind of a, 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 a sexy theme that Plantful has talked about for years around continuous planning. Mm-hmm. And, and now I think the Office of Finance gets a real gut check from the pressurized economic times, right? It's not enough right. to have this pandemic economy that we're still kind of dealing with, but now there's this inflationary aspect, there's global instability. So I think it's, a, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition of economic hard times versus next-gen technologies and solutions. And um, so I'm really curious from your perspective, like, I know you did something recently on some research on this. What are your thoughts on continuous planning uh, versus the economic issues like inflation that are going on? Yes. So the dynamic changes that are happening in our business environment are obviously immense. Uh, We are trying to figure out whether we are officially in a bear market or not. But basically, the stock market has lost 20% of its value over the past uh, quarter or so. And what that means from a practical perspective is that public companies use that equity, that stock, as a starting point to figure out uh, how much money they can borrow. It's basically uh, their piggy bank. And when you reduce that by 20%, it means they can't put out more bonds. It means they are restricted in the M&A activity that they can put in place. They, They can't just go out and buy stuff the same way that they did before. Because before, if you're, say, a $10 billion company, you could borrow against that $10 billion and some bank would probably say, yeah, you're probably going to be 12 billion next year. You're going to grow 20% because that's what tech companies did for the past several years. Now, all of a sudden we're going from 10 billion to 8 billion. Uh, All of a sudden you actually owe a bunch of money and there's no way that you can borrow more money. So you're kind of stuck there from a treasury perspective. Mm. Uh, Second thing that's happening is inflation, of course. Inflation is going up. Eight, nine, ten percent, and if you're looking at the com- uh, con- uh, consumer price index, uh, some of these uh, uh, some of these things are going up much higher. Like um, uh, just as an example, you probably noticed that used cars seem more expensive than last year. If you look at the consumer price index, you'll see that on average they're up thirty five percent from last year. Um, so the pain is real. Uh, of course, we've all seen the gas prices fifty, sixty, seventy percent up from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, so many commodities and pure stuff is more expensive. And that's assuming you can get it at all. At all. Uh, with Russia-Ukraine, uh, you know, third issue, uh, geopolitical mm. strife. Uh, from a practical logistics perspective, 
uh, a lot of uh, rare earth materials and neon come from uh, Russia and Ukraine, and those are raw materials for semiconductors. So, mm. uh, as you may know, semiconductors are used for all of our mobile devices, our computers, anything smart, anything with a processor. So now we're constraining that supply chain as well. So if you want smart stuff, you got to kind of go with what is already in the market. And so uh, to some extent, if you want to be prepared, you've got to start uh, actually hoarding some stuff uh, and, and prepare the for the devices that you need to have in place for the next several months of employees that you're planning to hire. So, uh, and, but at the same time, of course, uh, things are also held up at the ports. So, um, all these containers, the, not the Kubernetes containers, the actual containers uh, being stuck in the ports, uh, in, you know, in L.A. and Oakland and every Seattle, everywhere else, uh, means we're just not getting stuff. So, right, we are in this extremely volatile and challenging planning wow. environment. So many bad things happening painted, all at once. You painted a pretty grim grim picture but i i can't say that i really disagree with it uh <laughs> hey hey thomas uh sorry the linkedin live notification isn't going up it it claims that i'm streaming live on linkedin so who who the hell knows um but feel free to comment on twitter since i think you're watching there uh oh by the way uh if you're admiring the the setting uh we are in this sort of bizarre swank library room that planful has uh, booked for us for this so this is pretty cool uh, this is deep in the heart of the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas somewhere. So I imagine some major Las Vegas we deals have gone down in this room where we're sitting right now. This is a very secret room. It even feels, has a secret door. It feels that way. Okay, so um, – oh, you're on LinkedIn, Thomas. Okay, good. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, can you hear okay? Let us know about the sound because this is like a whole new setup. I think the, the image quality is looking pretty good to me. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn always slow to start up. Great. Anyhow, keep us posted and 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 feel free to post your observations as we're going. So you you painted a fairly grim, but I think realistic economic picture. So back to sort of the finance team's office of the CFO factor in this notion of continuous planning. Can they actually make a difference for their organizations, or is this just hot air? Where, where are we going with this? Well, uh, unfortunately, I think that continuous planning is going from being. Uh, a nice to have an idealistic situation to almost a must have because now we're starting to get to the point that if you're taking 20 days to close your books, your, your books closing uh, numbers are already obsolete by the time you get them. Cause who knows what's happening three weeks from now at this point, things are changing so quickly in our business environments, our work environments uh, from a supply perspective it's a little crazy. <laughs> okay, thanks for that feedback. All right, so I sound pretty normal. It says you sound maybe a little high, so maybe just hold your mic a little further away because I don't know how to adjust the volume in real time just now. Uh, keep us posted, Thomas, on the sound. We'll try to make it to your liking. Yeah, yeah. That so so then the pro so so okay. So you, you've made a good argument here that we can't. You know, if we're going to do this annual planning process, that's way too slow and sluggish for the environment we're dealing with. So from a customer perspective, then how, how, how do we go forward? Like how, how do customers move from the sluggish archaic process to something better in your opinion? So ideally, I think this is a couple of different pieces of the puzzle. First of all, uh, you want to be able to maintain 
basically real time or same day uh, knowledge of what you are closing. Uh, make sure that you know what your cash position is uh, at any uh, on any given day. But you also have to think about this from a planning perspective where you are building multiple scenarios. Uh, you can't just build one scenario or one budget or one forecast and expect that that's going to be accurate because we are just in such volatile times that uh, you need to be able to tweak inflation up or down 10%. You need to be able to think about currencies and which currencies are your currencies of record uh, within your business and how they may potentially be affected. If you have exposure to Russia, obviously that uh, there are companies that are completely writing off their Russian assets right now. And that might be part of what one of your scenarios if you are not ready to hold on to uh, what you have there in this volatile time. So you need to have a variety of different expectations that seem possible and work with that. Thomas, now we're mm -hmm. now now he's a little low on gain. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bump him up a little bit more. I found a way to make the adjustment in real time. Oop, that red doesn't. All look right, good. all right. So Thomas made one more adjustment for you. Thank you for providing the instant sound feedback. Yes, and 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 then the interesting thing becomes it you know like changes this combination of things right changes a changes a product issue changes a culture issue changes a process issue right you know uh, one of the things that I think customers have a challenge sorting out. We talked about this with the executive team here today is this thing around the rapidly expanding options around financial planning and what, how to evaluate that. Right. Because every vendor with the word ERP in their title also has supposedly great financial planning. Exactly. Um, then you have uh, more of the pure plays planful being one of the more recognized up and coming names there. So it's an interesting time for customers to say, okay, I want to plan better and more effectively. And, and I want to be more agile to use that word, but now they have to figure out from a solution perspective. And that's an interesting conversation. And there's no, obviously one right answer to that, but obviously it's good to have those conversations. And uh, Thomas asks um, what prevents companies from being current with their cash position? Yeah. You know, you know, there's a couple of uh, quick issues there. One is around uh, transaction matching and monitoring and being able to just know that all of your transactions are being accounted for uh, within the day that they are happening. Another, uh, a little more complicated one is around uh, intercompany aspects, especially for larger companies, uh, being able to pour all of the financial activity associated with all of your entities and being able to understand how that is being cross-charged and, uh, and used on a daily basis. Uh, and having the transactional traffic and uh, bandwidth in place to be able to uh, translate all of these transactions into something that makes sense into your, in your system of record at the end of the day. Um, as for companies that have uh, millions of transactions, this is a, a real computational issue. It, you can't just shove all this into uh, a spreadsheet or even a relational database quickly and just hope to get all of this aligned and uh, and fixed uh, quickly. Mm -hmm. it, it's going to take uh, a combination of either 
throwing a small army at this or having some AI in place to be able to handle some of this uh, match these matching and consolidation challenges? Yeah, there's some interesting conversations with the Planful Predict team that I had today. I have to be a little careful because there's some NDA stuff going on until the keynote tomorrow, and I don't want to like screw this whole video up with like stuff I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> but uh, but basically, this whole notion of uh, the 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 value of AI to help potentially beleaguered teams that are already kind of short on on resources to to address these things. Um, and then the questions come up around like data sources, how, where can you pull your data from to make these better decisions, right? Because if you're missing key data, then that's a deal breaker or, right. or alternately the trust in the data, right? So if I'm going to allow AI to step in and play a role, I also have to trust some of that. So really interesting things the Planful team is working on. And, and I know a lot of other vendors the same um, around this thing around, okay, if I'm going to have finance users rely on AI for part of this, they do have to trust it, right? Right. Because they do trust their spreadsheets. We know that. Even if their spreadsheets might not be right, <laughs> they trust them. And so how do you get that going? How do you accomplish that is one of the interesting questions that lie ahead. Yeah, and it, it's funny. So when you think about AI, one, one of the biggest uh, lies that I hear in the enterprise world is around companies that say, we eliminate bias in AI. Um, so that is an awful thing to say because AI, artificial intelligence, is fundamentally about applying some sort of bias to the information that you have. Mm. You want it to be the biases that you would have as an accountant or as a finance professional. Uh, what we call trust are, is often uh, outputs that match our personal and professional biases but we're used to bias being having a negative connotation right. but really like this trust and bias issue are kind of two sides of the same coin where we want our models and our ai to have the same biases that any hardcore accountant any licensed accountant would actually have at the end of the day uh and the closer that these models can get to our expertise our human expertise the better off we are and that, that you know that's the type of trust that we are looking for um, however part of that means uh, we have to go in and help uh, train these models these models aren't just going to do it by themselves mm -hmm. and as great as any vendor can be whether it's uh, planful or Oracle or anybody else out there uh, at the end of the day uh, professionals in your company have to go in and tweak those models to make sure that they are matching the standards mm -hmm. of accounting and finance and just the work product that you would expect from professionals within your organization, which are going to be slightly different from what the industry at large or a market at large would expect. Yeah. And Thomas is saying there are desirable biases and undesirable biases, uh, which is for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, to me, I think a lot of this comes down to smart interface design as well. Um, because if you can show users, okay, right now, this is a projection from the AI part of your system. Here's a couple of the parameters that that system is working with. It may, you know, so you could say, well, maybe I believe it, maybe I don't, but at least I know that I can see that it's having an impact here. I think where I get more 
upset and discouraged with AI is when it has that black box feeling of like, wait, am I seeing what's real or am I seeing what's manufactured for me? Yes. When you see something that says we do hype, we do automated hyperparameterization tuning to uh, give you optimized results. So you're like, I, I don't even know what that means. Right. Uh, if you're a normal human being, uh, whereas uh, some sort of process where you as an actual professional have gone in and you see how results get tuned and tweaked to match actual human being logic and then seeing results based on that, that that's a completely different story because you know sure it's ai but it's ai based on something that made right. sense in my life at some point rather than uh something that somebody you know some magic data scientist decided was the right thing to do <laughs> absolutely so a few interesting stats from today's keynote mm -hmm. that i will mention and you can may have a couple comments on uh, a notion that 75% uh, of finance leaders see agility as a top priority that came from McKinsey. Uh, from, Grant said from 2016 to 2021, the number of finance leaders who say they're responsible for transformation has tripled um, so to about one-third. So I think one of the big themes that's coming out here is the sense that financial finance leaders need to be more that, that sort of the bean counting aspect is is not enough anymore and that there's more of an expectation to to be able to guide the business in certain ways. And so you see that in the products as well as far as like um, changing user experience so business users can use these tools for reports more effectively and stuff. We could probably bring up the ESG thing and all the sustainability stuff. EY found that last year 85% said that we were going to see increased regulatory complexity in the future. And so that was another interesting theme around like, so, so basically, you know, I think today Grant had two juxtaposing messages in his keynote. The, the bad hard news part of it was that the situation is not going to change in the sense that like this notion that we're going to get past a certain level of volatility and unpredictability after the pandemic and stuff that's gone out the window. And so it's the, this is what it is going to be, right? Like there's always going to be mm -hmm. something um, where I think Grant's optimism comes from, from a finance perspective is that he called it the golden age of CFO tech, but there's more and more sort of modern ways of, of tackling these problems. And I don't know, maybe there's also like a, a different attitude um, that, that one can embrace from a corporate perspective aside to, aside from the, you know, Josh Greenbaum talks about silos all the time and bashing silos, but maybe part of the optimism, if there is any, can be derived from this notion of moving out of those silos somehow, you know? Yeah. And I would almost shorten what Grant said. I think Grant is great speaker, obviously, uh, in a world where, uh, we need good speakers because uh, finance is inherently kind of a boring topic, let's face it. But, you know, finance is the language of business. That's what I learned at my B-School program uh, because it gives us a common way to be able to uh, put any sort of decision and uh, put it into some sort of uh, common denominator of something related to money. That's It's not the only measure uh, of an outcome, to be certain. Um, as important as profit are, uh, is, uh, there are other aspects of ethical decisions and culture and all of that that, of course, matters. But at the end of the day, finance at least provides one viewpoint that is consistent across every business decision. 
and uh, either you can can find a financial result or you can't. And because we are looking for this data driven and um, uh, and uh, consistent view of the business in some respects, it's almost the golden age of the CFO right now. The CFO is often almost always, I would say, considered the number two or number three executive in the company, depending on how you think of your chief salesperson, but uh, probably not ever below that. And that means the CFO is a very strategic uh, officer, whether she or he wants to be or not. uh, They have that view of the business that is uh, both uh, the top line uh, spend as well as the bottom line profitability, all of the costs in between. And uh, and now the CFO is being asked to provide more and more context in each of those areas, which frankly requires a lot of business acumen uh, above and beyond simply knowing what a number is. Absolutely. Thomas triggered by the black box as well. How about the ability of your systems to explain their decisioning? Yeah, explainability is obviously one of the hot topics in this field. Yeah, I'm for it. I think we should all be for it. But uh, part of the challenge with uh, explainability is learning the math uh, necessary for the models at this point. Because if you are staring at a model and you don't know how to uh, you, you don't know what it means, it will never be explainable. That That's just the honest truth. So uh, to some extent, our explainability issues, with, even with non-black box models, uh, start coming to math mathematical literacy and uh, uh, the extent to which we understand oh, linear algebra, calculus, uh, all that good stuff that we tried to escape in college. Absolutely. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit about events on the ground. Uh, obviously, it's uh, it's interesting for me, having done a lot of virtual stuff, to be back on the ground for some events the last weeks. I've, I've been reminded that there's definitely some really cool things about seeing people in person. Um, I'm probably a little more on the curmudgeon side as far as, uh, I don't know, I've, I'm, maybe it's been a little more emotional to see people for some, because I, I think I've done a better job of enjoying like the video experience with people or something. I just, for me, that does have resonance. So, but look, I understand it. Um, just to answer your questions, if you're curious, folks, most people are not wearing masks. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely in the minority. I'm wearing, I'm doing this for some health reasons of my own. I'm not going to get into that on the show. Um, you've been a good sport about when you're around me, which is cool. Thank you for that. Sure, I just um, think it's uh, uh, basic manners. Um, I, I am you're, going. You're a rare gent, though, because no one else shares <laughs> your sensibilities there. So it's very much respected and appreciated that you do that. Thank you. Sure, uh, no problem. And, and to be honest, uh, I have uh, areas where I do wear a mask, areas where I don't. Uh, kind of dependent on airflow and whatever. But you know, I I think at this point, you know, everybody makes their own choice, and it's just yeah. kind of respect. <laughs> whatever that is, because everybody's got their own reasons. It is very interesting because it seems like there's mostly two camps, people who don't feel ready to go to shows and people who are like, I'm going and I'm not wearing a mask and I'm all set. And so I'm trying to navigate this little middle ground of like, I'm going, but I want to be careful. Um, but, but I, I really do enjoy being here and stuff. It's just, you know, it's just interesting to see. I think 
all these things are part of the adaptations. And I, I really appreciated the, the Planful team because I did talk with them about this ahead of time and they were really cool about saying, yeah, come and let's make it work. And so, you know, these are the conversations I think we have to have now for, you know, we talk about like culture and teams and work. This is the kind of stuff that I think we have to learn how to talk about rather than like, oh, let's pretend like it's all behind us because that's not how this is going to work. So. Yeah, I, I will say that the, I think the Planful team has been very respectful about uh, being flexible and working with everybody in, yep. in terms of at, at the level of that where they're comfortable. Uh, kudos to them on that. So talk to me about how how this this plays out for you. Like, I know events are important in terms of staying up to date, but what do you have projects that take up a lot of your time for client? Like, how do you do things on a day to day? Yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting things about uh, this, uh, the past 12 months, call it, is that because I wasn't spending time traveling or going to events, it actually created some extra time for me to do some consulting work. So I've actually worked with a few companies on uh, product work, uh, kind of portal work kind of their uh, upfront UX, which I normally wouldn't do. Uh, most of my standard work, I would say, is around doing uh, either uh, vendor landscapes, uh, some case studies, some uh, vendor selection work, uh, kind of, I would say, standard industry analyst work where um, there just aren't enough people to go along around because there are so many technology decisions being made at any given point. Um, I, I would expect that with more travel happening that if uh, this goes back to being kind of a new norm, that some of that consulting work will go away. Cause I just won't have the time to You'll do it. Too busy. Yeah. Yep. I'll have to remember how to wear pants again. Yeah, absolutely. On a regular basis. I like mm -hmm. those too. Those, those <laughs> that you fit in well in Vegas, you're looking pretty sporty, which is good. I, I, I really uh, enjoy Vegas though. I've a lot of the places that I used to hang out in, um, went out of business while I was gone. So I know it's a little bit of the pandemic thing, but you told me there's a rare books place in the Palazzo. I need to check out. So yes, the Bauman's rare bookstore. Uh, one of my favorite places here. Cool. Yep. So, so uh, before we wrap up, you're also not a solo flyer. You have some other peeps. You were telling me that your, your wife's been doing a, an, an AI ML hmm. roundup publication. Now. Yes. Uh, she's doing a from BI to AI on a weekly basis. Uh, check out her, uh, column uh, that on our Amalgam Insights uh, website. I'm going to. Yep. And then my colleague uh, Kelly Teal is doing a lot of work on IT management. She's actually working on a cloud cost management vendor landscape that'll be out next month. So cool. uh, we're, we're, we're staying busy and uh, there's plenty to keep us busy, especially at a time when uh, tech is changing, the economy is changing. Uh, you know, things are not staying still, which is bad news for everybody in general, but good news for us as yeah. Uh, on on the news and analysts aside, <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm I'm very I'm very encouraged. In case you guys haven't noticed from my show, I try to seek out the independent and small analyst firm types because I feel like they've done a, you know, to to stay in business in this industry right now as a small firm, you really have to know your shit and really have to have your act together. And uh, it's always great talking to you. So, here's to the smaller analyst firms that are that are punching above their weight. Hurrah. In a world of quadrants and trapezoids <laughs> and God knows what else, which by the way, came up today as well, because we were talking about how customers don't like categories all that much. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, vendors are compelled, I think sometimes to 
do category speak because of these kinds of classification exercises that go on. And so what I'm hoping someday is that our industry can move away a little bit from what kind of vendor are you? Are, are you a, you know, cause in the financial planning thing, it was like, Oh, EPM is, is not cool anymore. And now we're FPA or whatever. And who are you and who cares? And yes. Are you business planning or financial planning or enterprise planning? Uh, it's like, yeah, you're all doing the same basic thing, but yeah. you're all trying to uh, brand in a specific way to get into a specific market or landscape exactly. or something yeah, it, it's a little tiring. customers really don't care yes anyway for the record planful is doing what most vendors do which is they are jumping through the hoops of that exercise because sometimes you do have to assign a name for various reasons but they're also trying to move away from that when they in their marketing and in their customer interactions but just for the record if you're curious planful is positioning as fpm right now financial planning management because they didn't want to only be planning, which was the FPA. So if you find that kind of stuff interesting, that's a transition that Planful is making right now. Um, but that's to me, that's like kind of inside baseball stuff. But, but what I do find important is to figure out how to talk in language that customers can relate to and understand. So that's what we'll try to do. Anyhow, thanks for letting me uh, experiment on you with the sound sounds. I think it worked out pretty good, actually. All right. So for a first run, I think technology went pretty good. Anyhow, uh, we'll catch you later, folks. I'll get this out on replay. And if you um, missed any of it, I'll put out the audio track as well. Later. Take care. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate you joining.